Uh, well, good morning, family. Um, good morning. I try to, I'm trying to, let me get this right. The Northwest Jersey conglomerate family organization of the, <laughs> I know it's pretty complicated, but I'm just uh, super grateful to be with you guys here this morning. Uh, thank you, Phil. Um, we love and respect uh, you and your wife deeply. Um, the other side to what Phil shared about was that our moving back to New York, um, that Phil and Leslie were there supporting us um, through the hardest time of my life. So um, for your friendship and support during that time, um, I will always be deeply grateful for, uh, for you guys. Um, yeah, so my name is Stephen Aguaya and my amazing wife, Hannah, and I, we serve in the Harlem region of the New York City Church, uh, here with our three kids, Lucas, who's seven, uh, Levi, who's four, and Layla, who turned one uh, a week ago, which is crazy to have a one-year-old daughter now. Um, uh, thank you for having uh, me in my living room, uh, speaking to you guys, and uh, looking forward to sharing some, some thoughts with you this morning. Um, a couple months ago, I had to run uh, multiple errands in multiple locations uh, throughout a very short window of time. I needed to go to Home Depot to get supplies and then grocery store to get food and some stuff in between there as well, because um, we were expecting company. And I don't know if this has happened to you where you try and do multiple things at the same time to save time, but because that process is so messy, it ends up taking more time than maybe it would have been if you did one, one thing at a time, but that was me. So now I'm frustrated, late, and, um, and I'm in the grocery store with a cart full of groceries, and I go to take out my phone to pay, and they say, hey, you know, we're sorry, our Apple Pay situation is down, but that's fine because I have my wallet. And I do that little dance where you pat all your pockets to find which pocket has the wallet, and um, and no, no, no pocket had the wallet, uh, but I know for sure that I had it that day. Uh, so now I'm thinking, you know, my wallet's gone, all my cards, my license. I actually also had, uh, I normally never carry cash, but it was, it had just, my birthday was somewhat recently. So I took all the cash from the birthday cards that I got and had it in the wallet. So it's just this kind of frustrating realization of, how much money I just lost, but then also the work that I'm going to have to do to like get everything back. Um, but then I think, let me just go back to the first store and see if I can, if maybe someone, maybe I dropped it over there. And as soon as I walked in through the, 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 the entrance of the store, customer service starts waving my wallet. Like, Hey, is this yours? And I mean, the piece that transcends all understanding, right? Like I just was so relieved that I didn't have to do all the work that I thought I was gonna do. Grab my wallet, um, get in the car and I open it. All my cards are there, everything is there except for the cash. The cash had been taken out. Somebody found the wallet in the parking lot, um, opened it, paid themselves shipping and handling and then returned the wallet to the, the, the Home Depot front desk. Um, but to be, to be fair, I was honestly just so grateful to not have to do all the work that I thought I was gonna do that losing a couple hundred bucks, no, no big deal. And I honestly even kind of understand the street justice a little bit involved here in like, in how they had to, you know, 
pay themselves a, a finder's fee or whatever it is. But all the cash was gone, but I was okay. Now, what if I told you, though, that when I opened the wallet, not only were all the cards and all the cash there, but there was more cash in there than when I left it, that someone found the wallet and put more cash inside and then returned it to me. What if I then told you not only was there more cash, but the person did the work of renewing my driver's license while they were at it and then opening all my credit card accounts and paying the debt off all of them completely and then replenishing money into my checking account. What if I told you that that was the experience with my lost wallet, that when it was found, it was stacked with more things? We would think that's just not how life works. That's not how people operate. That's not how stuff happens. But then what if I said that that's exactly what happens when Jesus finds us, that when Jesus finds us, he doesn't just return us back in the same state that, 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 he, that, that we stumbled across him in, that he fills us, that he multiplies our blessing, that he pays off our debts, that he, that he gives us a new identity and renews us into him. And that's exactly what happens when Jesus finds you. He puts more into your life. He pays off the weight of all of your sin and erases the subsequent debt and, and interest of your guilt and shame, no matter the condition he finds us in, he adds to what we are, he adds to what we have, and he adds to what we will become. Um, Luke 8 highlights a powerful testimony where one lost man is found by Jesus, and Jesus doesn't just return him, but he multiplies the blessings in this man's life. We're going to read um, Luke 8, verse 26. Luke 8, 26 says, they sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, uh, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from that town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man, and uh, many times it seized him. And though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven out by demons into solitary places. So a couple of things to take, uh, to take note of here. Um, Jesus steps off the boat, um, not from a smooth uh, fishing trip or a sailing venture with some friends, but he just stepped off the boat after telling the storm to be quiet and telling the waves to relax. And both the wind and the water said, yes, Jesus and they did what, what he said. So he had just displayed control over wild nature, something that is a God attribute. In Psalm 65, it says, you stilled the roaring of the seas and the roaring of their waves. In Psalm 89, it says, you rule over the surging sea when, it waves, when the waves mount up, you still them. Jeremiah 10, 13 says, when he thunders, the waters and the heavens roar and he makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with the rain and brings out wind from the storehouses. Controlling nature is a God thing. And here Jesus is proving that he in fact is. But sometimes I can have all the faith in the world that God has the power to perform miracles around me, but then I doubt his ability to perform miracles about me where I can share for hours about how I know that God is real, 
based on what I've seen and heard, but if I'm honest about my own personal faith in God's ability to transform my life, my marriage, my parenting, my issues, my baggage, not, not so much that I know he can tame the storms, but I'm not quite sure if he can tame my temper. I know that he can quiet the wind, but I'm not sure if he can quiet my worry. I know he controls the tides, but God, I am tired, and I don't know if you can use me. And I don't think it's a coincidence in, in the Gospel of Luke here that Jesus goes directly from doing the incredible to doing the individual. Um, something else that it, it's important here, the, the location of the miracle, um, the town that Jesus had just arrived in was home to a lot of Gentiles, um, people that had no ancestry to Abraham, people that the Jews would have seen as unworthy to receive the fullness of the blessings of God. Jesus, a Jew, should not be hanging out in this place. On top of that, the scene takes place in a cemetery, a place that the Jews would be trying to avoid at all costs because it was seen as ceremonially unclean. And the only way to cleanse yourself after such proximity to death would be a long process going to go meet the priests. And it's, it's, it's a it's, it's, it's a lot of work that he would have to do after this interaction. And based on some context clues, I also think that the man that Jesus healed was a Gentile as well. But Jesus looked past his baggage to get him to his blessing. He was willing to enter the space of the impure um, and the dead and the unclean to bring healing into this man's life. This is our Jesus a savior who is not afraid to get his hands dirty to bring us hope. And if we are living like him, then we also can't wait for the convenient and the scheduled and the parceled and the comfortable times to serve those that are in need. Um, I remember back in Baltimore, there was um, a young man that we were studying the Bible with who we met, um, we met with him in the back of a rundown mall in the middle of Baltimore City and um, he brought a friend with him to the Bible study, and, and we were looking at God's word. And for the most part, he kind of was looking over our shoulders and very kind of spaced out during the, the time we were there. And towards the end, he did, he did focus. He did have a lot of great questions, and, and we, we got a chance to share our testimony. And at the end of our time there, he told me, listen, um, I got to be honest, our intention was to rob you guys here this afternoon. Um, we, 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 bo we both have knives on us, and we agreed to meet with you because we were going to rob you, um, and that's, that's why we came. So my friend uh, uh, Sean and I, we, uh, we heard them out. We heard a little bit of the other story and then went to an ATM to give them money. So, like, you don't, you know, don't rob us. Here's, if you guys, if you're in need, here, you know, uh, here, here, here's some money. Um, but they ended up coming to a couple of services. They met the campus ministry. Um, they stopped after a couple of weeks, they, they, they stopped coming. But my, my, my hope is that that little interaction was something that maybe helped change the, the, the uh, trajectory of, of, of their lives. But I can very easily see myself telling myself that that entire interaction was unwise and just not, not a good idea. And it's just so interesting how I managed to uh, like rebrand um, lack of Christ-like servitude as wisdom, where Jesus put himself in uncomfortable, unsafe situations if it meant that someone else had the, just the chance at receiving God's blessings. Um, and I know that it's, it's very easy for me 
to wait for things to be scheduled or wait for things to be easy or convenient or I think I think one of the, the go-tos is oh like God like the spirit moved in this situation and allowed for this thing to happen which is great but when is the spirit not moving when is when when does God not want us to, uh, to reach out so I think I have to make sure that if I'm choosing to live like Jesus where he was very very like deliberately uh, going into spaces that other people would have avoided in order to bring blessings uh, uh, to people's lives, I have to do the same thing. That Jesus was not waiting for things to be easy. Um, he went to a place where people were trying to avoid in order to help somebody in need. And those that claim to live like him uh, must, must imitate that same heart. Um, in verse 30, it says, Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. This is probably one of the scariest responses in the entire Bible. Um, like just what, what, like that, that, that dialogue of who are you? And then a, a, a choir responds. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's a very, very scary, scary stance. Um, a couple of months back, Hannah had to go to a wedding uh, and I was at home with multiple children and being at home with multiple children is a very scary space. So now it's not multiple children, but it's multiple demons. And that's who Jesus has, has, has to in, uh, uh, encounter with right here. But, but like, if you look at who's afraid in this situation, it's not Jesus, it's the demons. Um, as scary as that scene is, and there is fear that's, that's necessary in this space, the fear is not carried by Christ. In verse 31, it says, and they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. The demons understood who Jesus was and what Jesus was capable of doing. The demons had a faith and full assurance that Jesus was the Messiah and was God and was all powerful and had authority over them, even though they, they were rebellious to God's will. The demons were going to obey whatever Jesus said because they knew that at the end of the day, whatever the situation at hand, that Jesus had the final say. So I have to ask myself a question here. Like, are the demons doing better spiritually than me? Like, do they have a better understanding of who God is and what God's plan is for life and, and, and circumstance and all that than I do? Because they were fully subservient to the will of God. Whatever Jesus was going to say, they were going to do. And I have to make sure that I don't put myself in situations where I start justifying my own decisions to not do what, what God wants and I, I can't be stubborn to uh, I can't be stubborn to Jesus because the if if the demons weren't, I should also not be stubborn to what uh, to what uh, Jesus wants. But here's the other side. As much as there is a side of the fear, um, I'm sorry, the the um, the understanding that the, 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 the demons had. If you are here today, unsure if God can bring you out of the problem you are currently in. Your problem fears God. Your anxiety fears the God who is and gives a spirit of power and confidence. Your financial struggle fears the God who can give abundantly more than what we can hope for or imagine on a level that's past money and material accumulation. Your doubt fears a God who can do all things. Your problem fears the power of Jesus. The, the demons took one look at Jesus and did not want any problems with him at all. And maybe I'm going to assume 
in a, on, a, on a Zoom call with 118 devices um, that, that are currently on right now, there's someone in here that's going through a major problem in life. I'm not telling you to ignore the problem or to minimize the work needed to solve it, but I am saying that if you place your great problem next to the great provider, it becomes very clear who should be afraid. And it's never those on the side of Christ. That as, as big and as scary as the situation that you're in may feel, when placed next to Christ, it is very, very clear where the confidence should be. Jesus says, cast your anxiety on me. The, uh, it says, do not worry. Instead, pray and petition. Trust the Lord in all, with, with all your heart. Jesus says these things because he knows what he can do. And maybe even sometimes more importantly, he knows what we can't do. And because of that, full faith and assurance in, in, in Christ and his ability makes us be able to look at our challenges and still be confident in God's plan for our lives. Verse 32, a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them in, go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. Uh, when those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what happened. Uh, when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. He was in his right mind, but that confused and worried people and made them afraid. Uh, he was in a space where everyone knew the trouble he was in, and then the, the, the trouble went away, and what should have brought peace and joy and celebration brought confusion and worry. Uh, and I think there's, you know, there's obviously a side there where Jesus is bad for business, right? Where like it's the, 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 the pigs are no longer there. I remember uh, one of Phil Garrison's sermons in Brooklyn, uh, where I, th I think the phrase was, um, you're worth the bacon or something like that, which uh, I will never forget that, that, that line. Um, but but he here's a situation where all this livestock is now eliminated. But I think there's another side to it that sometimes the Christian life just looks crazy. Like if you, if, if you, if you could take a version of yourself that never, that never decided to follow Jesus and talk to who you are now, you might be like, like what, why, why would you make a decision like this? Does it look crazy to fully forgive from the heart and, and never hold grudges even if you never receive an apology. That looks like, why would, why would anybody do that? Does it look crazy to be fully committed to the fidelity of your marriage, even as far as monitoring your own thoughts? That, that's, that looks a little bit, like why, why, why would you be that committed? Does it look crazy to not chase after and participate in the public objectification of women? Nowadays, that makes you look crazy. Does it look crazy to say, yes, I will go to church every week and serve and give my time and gifts to advance the gospel? Does it look crazy to, to, to deny yourself when your desire is conflicting with the will of God? Does it look crazy to model your life based on an ancient text written thousands of years ago to other people? All of this stuff looks, why, 
Stephen, why would you why would you do that? But the truth is, when Jesus cleanses you of your demons, nothing else makes more sense. After you've experienced the interaction with Christ where he transforms who you are, nothing else makes more sense than full commitment to him. Um, uh, when, when Lazarus gets raised from, uh, 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 from the dead by, by Jesus, uh, the next thing we hear about him is that he was reclining by Jesus's feet, which is a kind of a, it's just like, like, like a passing line about him. But just like, like, think about his other options. I was dead and now I'm alive again. Let me go and experience life. Let me go and like, like just go do all the stuff that I said I wasn't, that I didn't have time for. Let me go and like, like really live now. But in Lazarus's mind, Jesus just brought me back to life. Why would I be anywhere else? Why would I go anywhere else? Why will I do anything else other than recline at the feet of the man that just brought me back to life? Um, and now for us in our right minds, being fully clothed in Christ, there's no better seat than the space by Jesus' feet. And if that does not make sense to you today, my prayer is that Jesus finds you or you let him find you. And it becomes very, very obvious that, that a full commitment to him is the only thing, the only thing that makes sense. In verse 36, uh, those who had seen it told the people how a demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. Uh, the man from whom the demons had, had gone out begged, uh, begged with him, but Jesus begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much Jesus, how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told people all over the town how much Jesus had done for him. Go and tell people what God has done in your life. Now, let's just break down what actually happened, right? Jesus removed a violent spirit from his body, multiple violent spirits from his body, seemingly clothed him, brought his sanity back, reunited him with his family, most likely, gave him a future where he did not need to be isolated from society, gave him a testimony that should, that should sustain him for the rest of his life. And in addition to that, this man actually becomes the first person recorded in the Bible to be sent out as a missionary. That the, 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 the work of here, go and tell, this is the, the, the first charge where Jesus didn't go with someone to go advance uh, uh, the, the, uh, God's word. This was the first time it was like, hey, go with this mission to tell the people that this like the, the, the first recording in the gospel of a missionary based on what? What special training did he receive? What equipping was he given? What experience did he have? What, what spiritual maturity or role in the church was he given? None of that. All he had was what God had done in his life. That's all that he had. And he is the first missionary registered in, in, in scripture. What gifts or abilities do I need to be an effective representative of the gospel? Wrong question. What has God done in my life? Well, for me, I was born to evangelist parents who were spreading the gospel around the continent of Africa. As a young child, I believed in God as much as a young child that grows up in the church would. And then at some point, I did not. I thought the Bible was a joke and that Christians were blind followers who needed something to believe in. 
I was involved in many unsafe relationships with unsafe people and involved in unsafe uh, behaviors with unsafe substances. I lied to my parents. I lied to everybody all the time. I actually, I lied so much that my, I, I had to do a lot of hard work to ensure that my friend groups never met each other because I was so different based on the circle that I was in that if this group from here met that group from there and I was present, uh, I wouldn't be able to, to balance both characters that I had created. So that's, that's the life that I was living. And then God took me, an arrogant, agnostic, anti-gospel in my adolescence and gave me a relationship with him where the core, where, where all of my core beliefs are root, are like directed, uh, I'm sorry, are, 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 are rooted directly in God's word. He took, he took me an absolute mess and gave me a wife who loves me, gave me three kids that take all of my money, but that's okay because I love them still no matter what. Uh, he gave me an incredible family. Um, I gave my mom and my siblings so much so much data to support why I'm not worth their trust and respect. I did so much to hurt those relationships. And my mom loves me and my brother loves me and my sister loves me. And that is very clearly God's work and blessing me with those relationships. God gave me a family here in the church. I genuinely have peace. And even though there's stressful situations, I don't feel stressed. I have an identity and, 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 and hope and, and I feel, I feel fine when there's, I mean, there's, there's drama, but I feel fine. I bring this up because I was the lost wallet carefully, carelessly dropped in a parking lot and God found me and filled me to the brim. And I think for, for a lot of us, we may have to just take a little bit of time every now and then to remember what God has done, to remember how much we've been given and, and, and be just blown away by where we were going and then where we ended up because of Jesus, um, that we fall back in love with him. Or maybe for some of us, we have to let God fill us for the first time. Like let God actually transform you and, and, and then reap the benefits of that, of that blessing. Uh, my prayer is that where, wherever you land there, whether it's needing to be reminded or needed to be refilled for the first time that that uh, that, that, that that we can actively go after the work of, of doing that now the day after I lost and found my wallet um I was at church I was walking into the, the, the church building in Harlem and a newly married couple who uh who uh, I had just officiated their wedding a couple weeks prior they gave me an envelope and they said, hey, you know, thank you for serving us. Um, here's just to show our gratitude. In the envelope was some money. Now, it wasn't the amount that I lost. It, was, it wasn't, it, would, it honestly didn't even make a dent in the amount of money that I had lost the day before. But they didn't know what happened. They didn't know about the wallet and the cash. And just, it was on their heart to say thank you in this way. And even though the dollar amount was less, I felt like God multiplied that tenfold. I felt incredibly seen by God. I felt incredibly uh, uh, seen and supported by, by the church. And even though, again, even though the money was less, 
it just had so much more value to me because of what happened and because of what God blessed me with after the fact. Um, and sometimes that, that, that's what this is going to, this is going to be. It's going to be a, a, a sacrifice, but goodness gracious, the sacrifice of transforming your life to the will of God is so much more valuable than the cost of whatever you're giving up that it becomes incredibly, incredibly clear um, how, how much God has in, in, in store for all of us. And as we transition into, into thinking about the, the communion, um, that the, the cost of this on God's part was the cross. Like the, 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 the transaction that made this blessing and this transformation possible was the fact that Jesus lived this perfect life with no flaws, no mistakes, and then decides to, 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 to give us access to, to, uh, to, to eternity by dying the, the, the death of a criminal. So it, it's as, as much as the, there's blessing and celebration in what was given to us, the thing that made that possible was very messy and very painful and, 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 and very deserving of a sinful life, which is not what Jesus did. So as much as I am, I am uh, in celebration all the time of the blessing that I have because of Jesus, I also then have to do the work of remembering that, that Jesus had to suffer to make this blessing available. And as we take the, the, the communion, I think, I think it's, it's, it's both of those things. It's a celebration that, oh my goodness, look at how good we have it because of Christ. But at the same time, it's, it's, a, somber, it's, it's, it's a sobering reminder that, that someone took a punishment that I should have taken to make the blessing possible. And when we do both of those things, I think that then we, we, we can live a humble and grateful life, um, which my, my hope is that the, the, the demon-possessed man then did that for the rest of his life, that he lived a humble and blessed life. And, um, and as we take the communion, let's, let's, let's be charged by that to, to, to actively think and speak and behave in ways that, that communicate just how grateful we are, just how humble we are, because of just how blessed we are because of what Jesus did. I'm gonna pray and then we will take our, our communion together. Uh, God in heaven, thank you so much, Father, for your love. Uh, thank you for the sacrifice that you had to make uh, to make our lives possible. I pray that we never take for granted um, what you experienced, um, that we can experience eternity. Uh, God, thank you for, for your mercy and your grace. Thank you for Jesus and his body on the cross and the blood that was spilled. And, I pray that that our lives show just how grateful we are for 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 uh, just for you and everything you are and who we can be because of you. God, thank you for your love. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.